Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. My guest this week is the former UFO investigator at the Ministry of Defense, Nick Pope. Nick, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be on. Thank you. Now, the American astrophysicist Carl Sagan once said that the universe is a pretty big place. If it's just us, it seems like an awful waste of space. So is there life outside of Earth? I'm sure there is. I mean, who could disagree with the the late, great Carl Sagan, for goodness sake? I, I mean, the more we learn about the universe, the deeper out we stare, the farther back in time we lurk through tools like James Webb. Uh, the smaller we lurk, the bigger the cosmos lurks. And and just, yeah, in a universe nearly 14 billion years old with countless trillions of, of star systems out there, the chances of us being alone are, I think, vanishingly small. You used to work at the UK's Ministry of Defence at what was termed by many as the UFO desk. So what did your role within the government entail? Three or four different things, actually. Firstly, we handled the policy on the subject. I mean, how do we play the phenomenon? The second strand to our work was handling the day-to-day investigations. Mm-hmm. Two to 300 reports came in each year. And we investigated these. Most of them, of course, turned out to be misidentifications. Some did not. And those, obviously, when they were, for example, seen by our own pilots, tracked on radar, performing speeds and maneuvers way ahead of anything we have, that was interesting. And that's, of course, what's going on in the United States right now with those U.S. Navy videos. It's why it's been discussed in Congress. The third strand to the work was handling... I guess, media and public inquiries about it, uh, and Parliament as well. Mm. So members of Parliament and peers would, from time to time, ask questions. The media would ask the press office you know, what's going on. And, of course, the public, endlessly fascinated by this topic. I, I had to handle that too. And And the fourth phase, I guess you'd call that research, m- more general trend analysis, um, trying to join the dots with all the different sightings, looking at sightings in, in other countries where we have good data on that and trying to build up a coherent picture of what's going on. So it, it was 
quite complex, but mm. absolutely fascinating. No, it certainly sounds it. So how did you actually get involved in UFO and alien investigation? What, what was it that really piqued your interest around this area? Well, I'm almost embarrassed to say that I fell into it quite by chance. I was already in the Ministry of Defence, and you get moved around every few years, uh, a different posting. And and so I just happened to be pretty much in the right place at the right time. I, I was due for a move. The vacancy on, on the UFO program, UFO desk, whatever people want to call it, came up. So uh, I, I was there, and I had... I guess the one advantage I had, I had worked to that particular line manager before. I'd been seconded into the Joint Operations Center during the the Gulf War, uh, doing our watchkeeping duties. And and so I knew him and he knew me, and, and we felt that I might be a good fit for that particular post. But I had no previous interest in UFOs and certainly no beliefs either way I'm neither true believer nor nor diehard debunker so i just mm. i just went into it really thinking this is going to be another three-year posting i'll see i'll see what i make of it and boy did it change my life <laughs> absolutely and you mentioned before that some of the work you were doing with the ministry of defense was around policy in 2021 the uk government published its landmark integrated review of security defense development and foreign policy within this document there were a number of announcements made around space policy including the creation of a new uk space command and the merging of military and civil operations in space to, to, to name a couple of examples i reread the document and there was absolutely no mention whatsoever of aliens or ufos or uh, even remotely discussing the potential around alien technologies that might be discovered do you think considering this was such a huge reevaluation of uk foreign defense even security policy do you think that was actually a mistake from the government should they have been looking into this more I think it is a mistake, though I understand that in presentational terms, it would be very difficult to publish something like that. But the government publishes all the time contingency plans for a number of scenarios that you might term low probability, high impact. Uh, Things like what do we do, for example, if a comet or or asteroid is detected on collision course with the Earth? Well, the chances of an asteroid, say, on the scale of of the one that wiped out dinosaurs hitting Earth, are statistically very small. But of course, the consequences, if it does happen, mean that it is worth thinking about. And of course, we saw that very recently with NASA's DART probe. So yeah, I, I think it is a mistake to think about space and not to ask that question. What if there are other civilizations out there? What if they have detected us through our our electromagnetic broadcasts, you know, whether it's television, radio, or whatever it is. And and what if they come here for whatever reason? Because there would be both threats and opportunities. So in terms, just in terms, as I say, of low probability, high impact, it's worth thinking about. I think the only thing that I would say is that all these things like uh, Space Force, Space Command, are dual use. In other words, they are set up pretty much with the view that obviously we're concerned about China and Russia and and space. I mean, people used to talk about land, sea and air as the three 
warfighting domains, the battle space, so to speak. Outer space and cyberspace will likely be the two future domains that decide any war. So these things get set up so that we can dominate that battle space. But as I say, it's dual use. I mean, if we do encounter hostile extraterrestrials, uh, doubtless the things that we set up to deal with with China and Russia can quickly be repurposed. Absolutely. And the uh, integrated review document certainly goes into a lot about the fact that, as you say, cyberspace and space are becoming the, the new frontiers, if you like, in defense strategy and in battles and combat, etc. Moving away from the governmental side of it for a moment, broadly, when, when people think about aliens or, or UFOs, they tend to think of it as what we see on TV and film. But do you think in large part that's led to people sort of being dismissive of the idea that there are actually UFOs and aliens out there, that it is just something that's, if you like, a fringe idea to, to some. I think that's a very interesting point. Yes, and I, I would agree with you. I think that you've only got to use the phrase science fiction. Mm. And and you notice, of course, that fiction is in there. Mm. So whether it's subliminal or not, mm. inevitably, when you see one of these movies, whether it's Independence Day, War of the Worlds, Close Encounters of mm. the Third Kind, or E.T., we, we kind of think, oh, well, that's just Hollywood. And we tend to overlook the fact that there are scientists looking for, for extraterrestrial life, whether it's the radio astronomies at the, the SETI Institute, Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence, whether it's people like Professor Avi Loeb at Harvard, or whether it's NASA themselves, who are increasingly talking about the field of astrobiology, and the idea of looking for an alien techno signature, something that would indicate that there's another civilization out there. So there are there are scientists doing this. And of course, at the other end of the equation, the whole UFO phenomenon has gone from fringe to mainstream in the last five years because of the revelations about the Pentagon's ATIP program, because of the release and confirmation that they were real of those US Navy videos. And because there have been both classified briefings and public hearings now in the United States Congress and multiple UFO provisions, by the way, in, in the next National Defense Authorization Act. Based on all of this, then, you, you mentioned some of those pieces of footage from the United States Navy from a few years ago now of potential alien activity or sort of certainly flashes of light. So is there any actual sort of concrete proof or, or physical evidence that we have that aliens have actually visited the Earth? Well, I think there's some intriguing evidence, but no definitive proof. I think you could look at those US Navy videos, of course, and and people who don't know should should be aware that this isn't just something on YouTube, though you can see it there. I mean, these these are actually posted officially on, on the Department of Defense website, mm -hmm. along with, with a press release saying that these are genuine US Navy videos and we don't know what this phenomenon is. And then in June of 2021, the Office of the Director of National Intelligence here in the US published a preliminary assessment of unidentified aerial phenomena, where they talked about how these things are now not just seen by pilots, but tracked on radar, filmed on Ford looking infrared. They're detected across a whole range of, of platforms. And, and, and here's one of the most fascinating things. Some of them 
display a, a degree of what's called signature management. So they're trying to to reduce their profile in terms of of the energy that they're putting out to make them harder to detect. Well, natural phenomena don't don't you know purposefully instigate signature management. This shows that whoever or whatever is operating this, I mean, there's a technology here. And of course, people are asking, is it China? Is it Russia? Is it some of our own tech in, in some highly classified, deeply compartmentalized program? Or is it something else? And the answer, interestingly, may be all of the above, because right. they, they went on to say there's probably not a single neat solution mm. to this mystery. And when we're looking at the uh, potential evidence for aliens or UFO sightings, quite rightly, as you point out, you know, we, we see the evidence like of the from the US Navy or on various other pieces of video or photographs, whatever it may be, these visual pieces of evidence. But yeah, you know, there are even interpretations of uh, aspects of the Bible, which even suggest UFO sightings, notably in the books of Ezekiel and Exodus, which describe whirlwinds and great clouds with a bright fire and even strange objects in the sky. Now, how accurate a description is that of potential UFO sightings that have been reported and even of some of those that you've looked into during your work? I, I think there is something there. I and mean, there's no yeah. getting away from the fact that although we talk about the modern UFO phenomenon, people have seen things since the dawn of time. Odd things, not just objects in the skies, but entities and and both whether it's ufos or or these entities and it's interesting looking at folklore of course we've it's global and cross cultural that there is this idea of the little people uh, often with disproportionately large eyes and and you know it's just a question that labels the words that we use for these things so we talk about gods devils angels demons fairies jinn whatever whatever your your culture, your your nationality, your religion is—you've probably got some of this so, somewhere, and and it's everywhere. It's in the Bible. It's in ancient rock art depictions. It's in Renaissance paintings. Is some of this metaphorical? Um, probably, yeah. For for the spirit of God, you know, Holy Spirit, whatever you you want to call it, is some of it just people doing what people always try and do, record what they've seen and experienced, maybe. Just looking at more modern UFO sightings then, what percentage of the, those UFO sightings that have been investigated in recent years and, and decades are actually credible? What are the types of things that you'd look for when investigating these sightings that you think, actually, yeah, th this person might be onto something. We, we may have actually seen a, a potential UFO or an alien technology or, or even an, an alien. Well, what you tend to do in a government UFO program is is do it the other way around because okay. you statistically know from, from the database, because these you know programs go back decades, you know that most of these things are going to be misidentifications and you know pretty much what of. You go looking for those things and you try and correlate. So you have the date and time of the, the sighting and the description. And then you you just go through the list and and say, well, what could it be? Could it be if, if you're talking about a nighttime sighting and something moving across the, the sky? Obviously, you can for something moving rapidly, you can eliminate stars and planets. But you look, for example, at satellites. You look at the idea of a fireball meteor. Uh, you look perhaps for 
was there a rocket launch and uh, debris re-entering the Earth's atmosphere and burning up that sort of thing? Uh, if it's if it's other times, you you look for things like military aircraft activity, civil flight paths. If if it was military, was anyone dropping flares or using munitions? Uh, was there an outdoor rock concert or event that used powerful lasers or searchlights? Uh, weather balloon launches, Chinese lanterns, the list the list goes on. So you eliminate all those. And at the end of all of that, around 80% of the cases can be explained like that with high degree of, of probability. I, I mean, you know where your launches are, whether it's rockets, weather balloons, whatever it is. So you can tie it in. 15% of cases, we didn't really have enough information to to be certain, I mean, I, descriptions were vague. Sometimes people would report straight away, but sometimes people would report weeks after the event and they wouldn't even know the exact date or time. So that was a problem. And in around 5% of cases, you, you really had good information. Maybe you have photos and videos too, and you absolutely can't explain it. Didn't mean that those things were extraterrestrial, but neither did we eliminate that that possibility. And of course, that's that's the core phenomenon. You know, we're not really interested, of course, in in the Chinese lanterns or the weather balloons. We want to eliminate those as soon as we can so that we can concentrate on whatever we think that core phenomenon mm -hmm. is, that we can research it. And that's uh, I I don't know what the British government is doing right now i i've lived in the united states for for 11 years now but in here in the us i know mm -hmm. that that the department of defense the intelligence community the military the united states congress are all looking at this now seriously and yeah. saying look for we've we've made a, a mistake for years we were told this was all all just crazy stuff and and now we realize it isn't and we need to find out what we're dealing with that's that's happening right now in the uk and the united states you know those are the countries which are perhaps most widely known for investigating ufos or potential for extraterrestrial life and certainly with the united states there's the famous or infamous depending on your position area 51 and all the folklore that surrounds that but which other countries that you know of are really actively investigating these potential sightings and come up with real genuine research and intelligence around this area? Well, we know for a fact that both China and Russia have active UFO research and investigation programs, but obviously because of the closed nature of those those societies and, and the the secrecy, we don't know much about mm -hmm. them, but uh, China and Russia definitely have programs. A lot of South American nations have programs and are rather more open about this than the United States and, and the United Kingdom. France has, has a program. And interestingly, France is one of the few nations that embeds their UFO program, not in the military or the Ministry of Defense, but in, in the scientific community, because it's run out of the French National Space Center, which is interesting and I think gives you a different model for, for doing this. Um, but with the best will in the world, there's a, a lot of the globe where we know very little about what what sorts of programs there might be in, in government, what, what the ordinary people might be seeing. And part of that is, is language, part of that's culture, part of that 
again, is the closed nature of some of these societies. But but we know very little about a lot of what's going on in the Middle East. We know very little about large parts of Africa. We know, I mean, it, it's common sense. We know this is a global phenomenon. And from time to time, we get reports and, and we pick up snippets here and there, for example, through intelligence monitoring. But But there are still a lot of gaps. And of the countries and places that you mentioned there, with the obvious exceptions of Russia and China, again, as you say, due to the closed nature of their societies and governmental operations, to what extent do countries collaborate with their findings and actually build on each other's research? Is it quite a collaborative practice or field of science, or is it very much individual per country to do with what they wish? Well, that's interesting because you would think that particularly amongst allies, there would be a lot of liaison and cooperation, but there isn't. So, for example, on intelligence matters more generally, we have the so-called five eyes nations, the United States, Canada, the United Kingdom, Australia and New Zealand. So you would expect there to be liaison and cooperation amongst the five eyes, but there isn't. Uh, not on UFOs. And it was an irony, you know, when we commissioned, I mean, internally, uh, an intelligence assessment of the UFO phenomenon itself in the early 90s at the Ministry of Defense. The irony was, turned out we knew a little bit more about what Russia and China were doing than we did about what the United States was doing. So for some reason on this, we, we don't have the close cooperation that you would hope and expect for. And I sometimes wonder whether one reason for that is technology acquisition. We, we spoke earlier about you know, low probability, high impact. And however unlikely you think it is, what if we could, what if this is real? And what if we acquire some of that technology? The nation that first does that is, is obviously going to have a, a stratospheric advantage over everyone, whether it's enemies or allies. So mm. in one sense, maybe there's a little bit of a, I call it sometimes a new space race, a scramble for that technology. And there's even a declassified UK Ministry of Defence document that says, I mean, it pretty much articulates just that in, in a little soundbite. It says we could use this technology if it exists. Mm. And that, I think, is the mindset. So, mm. no, this isn't something that's talked about, for example, at the United Nations or, or in bilateral discussions between the US and the UK. Over the years, there have been discussions within the scientific community and occasionally at a governmental level of you know, sending messages or, or even beacons into space to show that to other potential life forms or extraterrestrials that there is life on Earth. It's had a, a very mixed reaction. There are a number of prominent scientists, in, including the late Professor Stephen Hawking, who said that it, it was just simply not a good idea for humans to advertise their location to other life forms. Do you believe it, it is a good idea for Earth to broadcast some kind of signal or message to outer space to highlight to other life forms that there are indeed life forms on Earth? I'm somewhat conflicted on this issue. I mean, I, I get the danger. I mean, clearly, as I said right at the outset, in a universe nearly 14 billion years old, there could be trillions of of civilizations out there, and some of them might have a billion-year head start on us. I mean, what would their technology look like? Um, it, to, to quote Arthur C. Clarke, it would be indistinguishable from magic, and we couldn't defend against that. So I get the concerns of people who say you know, it might not be smart to advertise 
our our presence. But I think I'd say two things in response to that. Firstly, I think it's too late because we have sent those messages already. And more generally, even, even setting aside those targeted messages, we have been a detectable civilization for, for many, many years because of our television and radio broadcasts. And you can't, you can't put the genie back into the bottle on that. So it's, it's too late. But the other thing I would say is that if you, if you took that view, and I do understand it, and as you say, Stephen Hawking, he, he had that classic quote where he said, when we encounter extraterrestrials, it might be like the European explorers meeting the Native Americans, only this time we'll, humans, will be the Native Americans. So yeah. I totally understand the concerns, but if you took that view, you'd never, you'd never risk anything. Mm-hmm. We'd, we'd never have, have explored the savannah in Africa and gone beyond our initial settlements um, mm-hmm. over the next hill to see what's there. We'd never have, have sailed across the ocean if we thought that the, there might be someone more powerful and, and perhaps dangerous. We'd never have sent space probes out, but we do because that's what we do. We're human beings. We are naturally curious. And I think the idea of curiosity and exploration are inextricably bound up. So I think, you know, if we just stayed at home and never sent messages and never explored the the universe, well, we might be 100% safe, but that's not what it is to be human. I completely agree with that. And in the search for extraterrestrial life, our I suppose if you like, our first port of call is to examine planets closest to us. And people do look at, at Mars for potential signs for life. And there's been a number of missions out to Mars of certain rovers that uh, the United States, the European Space Agency, look into it. Even uh, some of the Middle East countries like the United Arab Emirates, you know, they're sending missions to Mars to try and investigate the, those questions and even the potential for human life to even be supported on Mars. Based on the samples that have been taken and analyzed of Mars, is there any proof that there has been life on that planet? Well, it's it's a controversial one because back in 1976, when, when NASA landed the two uh, Viking probes, they designed three experiments to, to try to test for life. And actually, all three of those arguably were positive. Now, NASA then walked it back and said, said, no, actually, we believe natural processes, uh, chemical rather than biological, could could explain that. And then, of course, in 1996, there was the so-called Martian meteorite, um, where, where some people believed that there was evidence of fossilized microbial life from a meteorite discovered in Antarctica, but proven scientifically to have come from Mars. Again, that's been walked back, but it, it wouldn't surprise me. And I know a lot of scientists firmly believe that there would certainly be microbial life, perhaps on Mars, on Europa, on Enceladus, maybe some other places in, in the solar system. I think if humans ever go to, to I mean, permanently, say, to the moon or, or to Mars, obviously we'd, we'd need some sort of life support or or terraforming or something but it wouldn't surprise me if in the next few years we discover definitive proof of extraterrestrial life in in the form of primitive microbes and and that you know people 
say it's not as interesting as a civilization out there. Of course, no, it it's not. But you know, if if we discover just one other mm. uh, form of alien life in our solar system that that we can be determined doesn't come from cross contamination, then it's almost a hundred percent that there'll be alien life throughout the universe because because statistically the chances of life arising not once but twice or or multiple times in one single solar system well you've just you've just got to play the odds yeah in much of the discussion around whether or not there are life forms away from earth so much of that debate is based around whether or not there's water on a different planet be it frozen or, or liquid are we are we basing too much of our extraterrestrial research on the facts that that's actually support human life is it not time that we start broadening the research and scope of investigation and inquiry beyond that and perhaps even look at alternative sources of, of sustenance for other life forms. Yes, I think the whole problem of of taking a very anthropocentric view, right? I mean, where, where we just use the human model or, or planet Earth as a model, is is very problematic when it comes to this. And and you'll often hear people say that the search for, for other civilizations should should be targeted on Earth-like planets orbiting Sun-like stars. But, I mean, mm-hmm. that's, that is the very sort of anthrop- anthropocentric viewpoint that, mm-hmm. that I mentioned, that maybe we should look for other things and in other places. I mean, I'm not necessarily sure that the old Star Trek idea of silicon-based as opposed mm-hmm. to carbon-based life forms is, is necessarily a good model for, for very complex biochemical reasons but but why not why not look for everything and why not look pretty much everywhere and the other thing i would say is that however life first evolves maybe on other planets there's quite a good chance that at some point that life will morph into or will itself create artificial intelligence Mm machine intelligence i mean people talk about we're now at a point where we're beginning to consider what what might be the beginning of a, a sort of movement of transhumanism where we where fuse you know humans and machines you know cyborgs and all that but also some of the ai programs we're creating are i don't know whether or not they're sentient but obviously there was the story of the google engineer blake lemoyne who believed that one of the the Google chatbot programs had had attained sentience. So, so when we look for alien life, we shouldn't just be looking for flesh and blood biological life. We should be looking for machine intelligence, which of course could exist in almost any habitat, including deep space. It wouldn't necessarily need to be planet bound at all. So, I you raise an interesting point. We we should widen the search. And not just be looking for places where we would be able to exist. So just to finish then, for those listening to our conversation today who still have their doubts and reservations about the fact that there could be extraterrestrial life out there, what would you say to try and convince those who remain skeptical? Well, firstly, I'd say you know, just just considering the science of it all, mm. the laws of physics seem to be the same in the observable universe and and the periodic table when it comes to chemistry uh, will be the same. If you put together the the different 
atoms and and things in in the different combinations uh, the, the same things will come out h2o will always be h2o it'll be water now obviously on on water can exist as as solid liquid and and gas depending on where it is but the chemical formula is the same so unless we thought there was something literally magical about planet earth in some sort of weird harry potter sense the same the same factors that gave rise to life here should replicate on on countless trillions of of other worlds and as i say the more we look through james webb and some of the other telescopes we have the less unique we look the more ordinary we look the more and and you know if we turn out to be just an average ordinary planet orbiting a very ordinary type of of star then why should there be anything magical and unique about life so so that's what i'd say look look at that but also don't throw out the ufo evidence either i think the united states congress threw it out for years and said oh yeah it's just crazy stuff until the pentagon and and the us navy said uh guys we've got these sightings and here are the radar tapes and here are the videos and we don't know what these things are so so sometimes it's good to put aside preconceived ideas and beliefs and look with fresh eyes and and with an open mind and and just ask the question what might be out there i, I mean it would be one of the most interesting and impactful discoveries of all time why wouldn't we want to look for it and my goodness what what might happen if we find it i, I mean it's it's fascinating it would be the most impactful event in human history absolutely nick pope thank you very much for coming on the show thank you judy was boring hello then judy discovered chumbacasino.com it's my little escape now judy's the life of the party oh baby mama's bringing home the bacon whoa take it easy judy the Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.